Some of you got back from vacation. We're glad to have you back and hope you have a great Mother's Day planned. And if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at a close encounter with living truth. These are close encounters of the real kind. They're based on historical facts. And yet, they are close encounters with the risen Lord. We're studying the resurrection appearances, not so much to prove the resurrection, but that the resurrection can prove our faith in the living Lord. So let me start out with this and ask you, and it's probably a good question to ask even on Mother's Day, has your heart ever been broken? Do you have a broken heart this morning? Do you ever wonder if your broken heart can ever be healed? Uh, Probably the first time my heart was really broken was in college where I made the foolish decision to date someone I knew I shouldn't have dated, but I did it anyway, and she broke my heart. And uh, she didn't just break up with me, but she told me when she broke up with me that she was faking it for half of our relationship. Now, you, didn't, you, you could have, yeah, see, the ladies are all like, oh, wow, she really stuck it in you. And it really, I, I, that's just how she was. And, and we, had dated, we had dated a year. So, I mean, that was like, yeah, it, it, it was hard. It was hard. And, uh, and that was my junior year. And then I had all my senior year to uh, uh, relish that broken heart as she was ingrained in my network of friends. So I had to see her all the time. I couldn't wait to go to Dallas and go to grad school. And even in grad school. It took probably my first year of grad school uh, to even get over that. So, how I many, ever, you ever had a broken heart like that? Anybody? Ever, yeah, yeah, everybody? Okay. Yeah. Anybody? Any testimony? We, we could have whole whole testimony morning on that. Mother's Day, though, really any holiday can be a time when hearts get broken and when the brokenness of our hearts is felt most. And the spoken word that we just listened to, you know, it has that in it, that aspect that maybe you never knew your mom or the mom you know or knew hurt you very deeply. Maybe the children that have made you a mom have disappointed you or shamed you. And maybe the children you've never been able to have or the baby that was aborted or the baby that was miscarried uh, suffered has broken your heart. Well, you know, it's not just moms that may have broken hearts. Dads can have broken hearts. You can be a single or a widow or widowed and have a broken heart. Maybe your son or daughter has died young. And days like today can be very painful uh, for parents who have lost a child or a young man or a young woman. The reality is we live in a fallen world, don't we? A fallen world that's full of sin-cursed brokenness. We live in a world that's broken. And quite frankly, it can get depressing. At times, so maybe you're here today and you're thinking, "Well, why is this? You know, this sounds kind of gloomy for Mother's Day." And you're saying, "Man, I'm, everything's going good in my life." Well, let's rejoice in that. We're to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, and we're to weep with those that are weeping. So, if everything's going good in your life today, then you listen to this lesson for the future, because it, 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 we live in a fallen world, right? And bad things do happen. But if you're going through a difficult time, then listen for the present because there's good news for the brokenhearted 
in Luke 24. So look there at Luke 24. Let's do a little bit of an overview of this great chapter. It's one of my most favorite chapters in the Bible. And uh, if you look at verses 1 through 12 of Luke chapter 24, I have the outline there. This whole chapter is about things that are opening up. And so in verses 1 through 12, the focus is on the opening of the tomb and and the emptiness of the tomb. And then in verses 13 through 27 that we're really going to focus on, you see the opening of the scriptures by Jesus to show that, yes, indeed, he, he should have died crucified, resurrected, and he has risen. And then in verses 28 through 35, you see eyes are being opened so that they recognize the risen Lord. And then in 36 through 49, minds are opened as Jesus explains the scriptures, how he fulfills the scriptures. And the chapter ends in verses 50 through 53 with the heavens being opened up as the risen Lord ascends into heaven. And if you really look at verses 1 through 12, it's really the story that we looked at last week, the story of the women who go to the empty tomb. And so we know in that group of women, the highlight was Mary Magdalene, and we saw her story last week. And that's really what verses 1 through 12 are about. The women go uh, to the tomb, The stone's been rolled away. There's two angels in this account that are there. And they say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is risen. The ladies race back with this announcement to presumably the upper room where the 11 disciples and other believers in Jesus are gathered. They tell of the angelic announcement and nobody believes them. They think they're just crazy talk by crazy women, and they don't believe. And out of that group of unbelieving disciples, two of them leave because, hey, it's over. Nothing's worked out the way we expected. And these two disciples are who we're going to study about this morning. And presumably, they're returning to their home in a village by the name of Emmaus, about seven miles away, which is about a two-hour walk uh, away from Jerusalem. And so they're basically leaving, and we're going to see what happens when two perfect melancholies encounter the risen Lord. Again, we don't know what their personality types. That's not the point. The point, though, is the way Christ appears to them is very much in keeping with what would make a melancholy personality very happy. You're going to enjoy this chapter if that's your personality type. But we all have something to learn. And so... What happens when perfect melancholies encounter the risen Christ? Well, whatever is going to happen, it's going to be profound, it's going to be deep, and indeed it is. So, like last week, we're going to look at the characteristics of these two disciples, then we'll look at their close encounter, and then we'll look at some principles of how we can have a close encounter with the risen Lord. So let's look at them. Let's look at the characteristics of these two, and we'll pick it up in verse 13. We're going to look at two confused followers. Two confused followers that were dedicated but depressed disciples. Melancholies easily get depressed. And these two seemed to be that type of person. They were very depressed. They were very dedicated, but they were 
very depressed. So let's read in verse 13 through 24. So follow along in your Bibles and uh, have them open, mark in them, uh, and let's pay attention. Verse 13, and behold, pay attention, two of them, that is two of those that were in the room that heard the women's announcement regarding the angelic announcement that Christ is risen, two of those that didn't believe and have now left, two of them were going that very day, that is Resurrection Sunday, to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And as I said, about a two-hour walk, four hours round trip. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, literally debating, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And that's, you ever had an exchange of words with someone? It means it was heated. They were debating. They were really getting after it. And they were confused and depressed because notice, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still. Jesus stops them in the tracks. They don't know it's him. Looking sad, looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Probably the most ironic question in all the Bible. Are you the only one that is clueless about these things? Who are they talking to? Jesus, okay. And he said to them, Jesus plays dumb. What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed, in word, in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel, that is, bring in the kingdom, overthrow Rome, establish God's rule on this earth. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb. We know at least Peter and John from other accounts and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him They did not see him. They did not see. And that missing piece of the puzzle has thrown them into deep, depressing despair. So let's look at this. Let's look at this. Well, first of all, we've got two disciples. We know one of them is a man by the name of Cleopas. We're not sure who his companion was. You'll read some think it was a woman. In fact, some think it's one of the resurrection uh, women in the resurrection, Mary. Maybe that's why they were debating so heavily. The wife said, look, I saw the empty tomb. And the husband says, I don't believe. I don't know. But more than likely, it was it was two men. And all we know is that one of them was by the name of Cleopas, and that more than likely they were from the village of Emmaus. 
Now, last week we saw that Mary Magdalene was a compassionate follower whose encounter would really connect with popular sanguines. Well, this week we see confused followers who are very depressed due to the big picture not fitting together. They've got the facts, but the facts don't fit, and that frustrates them, okay? Can any of you have that personality type where when things don't come together, it drives you nuts? Jeremy, are you with me? You're going to love this, I'm telling you. So let's look at it. Three reasons why they were dedicated but depressed. So let's take a look. Number one, these two disciples were intensely dedicated to the big picture. If there's one thing that... uh, Uh, melancholic personalities like they like the big picture they like to see it all and and how the the details fit together these guys were intensely dedicated to the big picture you say well what's the big picture well look at verse 14 verse 14 says all these things which had taken place look at verse 18 the things which have happened here in these days. Verses 19 through 24 tells us exactly what the big picture is. The things about Jesus the Nazarene. When you look at verses 19 through 24, these guys are basically summarizing the entire book of Luke. You know, they say, Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in word and deed in the sight of God and the people. That basically takes you from Luke chapter 1 all the way up to 22. Then he says he was crucified. That's Luke 23. And then he says some women went to the tomb. And that's Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. And they just kind of summarize the whole book. The whole big picture is there. Who Jesus was, a great prophet. What happened to Jesus? He was crucified. And what is the, the disappointment with Jesus? The kingdom hasn't come. The tomb is empty, but no one has seen him. You see, I want you to see three things about the big picture here. They knew it. They knew the facts. They knew the scriptures. They probably took good notes. They probably had notebooks full of notes. I don't know. We don't know that. They probably had a lot of scrolls. They knew the scriptures. They said the right things. Everything that they told Jesus was 100% accurate. It just wasn't the entire thing. But they knew it. They knew it. And they were idealistic about it. They were very knowledgeable, very organized. These are all the kind of personality type uh, characteristics of a melancholy. They knew it. Number two, they followed it. They not only knew this big picture, but they were following it. That's why they were in Jerusalem. They knew as good Jewish people, they should be in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. So they had walked two hours from their village of Emmaus. They were right where they were supposed to be. Not only that, they were not, not only were they not, not only were they just good Jews, they were followers of Jesus. They had been in the upper room. They were followers of Jesus as well. So they, they knew the, the big picture and they followed the big picture. They were right where they were supposed to be and they were probably on time doing it. And they were very logical and very rational about their approach to the big picture. Notice the response in verses 10 through 11 to the women, and these two were part of this response. Look at verses 10 through 11. 
Now there were Mary Magdalene, we saw her last week, and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, also other women with them, who were telling these things to the apostles. What things? The tomb is empty. The angels have announced that he is risen. They were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. And that word for nonsense is a, is a very unique word. It's only used here in the New Testament. And in medical terms, it would be used of someone who is really sick, and they're saying, when they're sick, they're out of their mind saying crazy things. Delirious. You know, what's he saying? I don't know, he's sick. He's out of his mind. That's how they viewed these women. Crazy talk. Crazy talk. We're not going to believe you. And so they were like, they were very logical. None of this is making sense. They couldn't fit it into the big picture. And so, number three, they still didn't get it right. They knew the big picture. They followed the big picture, but they didn't get it right. They still didn't get it right. And that drives melancholies crazy. They notice that <clears throat> there's two buts in this passage. Look at 2421. Look at verse 21. It says, look, here's the facts. Here's, we, we know the facts. We know the big picture. 21, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And you have to understand, that means, redeem Israel means fulfill all the promises of the Old Testament, literally, now. And so they're like, hey, it was weird enough that he got crucified. But now, on the third day, and in Jewish, in the scriptures, and in Jewish thinking, the third day was a day of deliverance. There ain't nothing going on. The Romans are still in charge. The kingdom hasn't come. The tomb's empty, but no one's seen him. Okay, and that's the second but that's in this passage. Look at verse 24. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it. So, you know, here's these guys. They're a little chauvinistic, right? They're a little, they're a little, they're like these women told us, and that's crazy talk. Two of, you know, two of us, some of us went and checked it out. We know it was Peter and John at least. They found it just exactly as the women also had said. What should that have led them to do? What? Believe. Believe. Well, yeah, well, wait a minute. They got the facts right. This isn't crazy talk. They're not delirious. This isn't nuts. We found it just as he said, but him they did not see. You see, that's the missing piece of the puzzle. The point was, look, we're looking for a physical restoration of the kingdom at this time, and we're looking, we want to see him. doesn't matter that the angel announced. It doesn't matter that the tomb's empty. It doesn't matter that the women believed it. We want to see him. And so big, big picture people are prone to depression. Did you know that? Big picture people are prone to depression. Seeing the big picture enables them also to see big problems. They can also make a mountain out of a molehill due to focusing too much on the details. They miss the forest. For all the trees. See, these guys were lost in all these facts. And they're missing. What's the biggest reality they're missing? Who are they talking to? Jesus. I mean, they're like, we didn't see him. We didn't see him. And who are they saying this to? 
the one, <laughs> the risen one, okay? The risen one. So what did they do? These intensely dedicated disciples become emotionally depressed. That's the second characteristic. Notice, they were emotionally depressed over the missing piece. They were emotionally depressed over the missing pieces. This isn't fitting together, which drives melancholy personalities crazy. It's not fitting together. These guys were definitely melancholy. Look at verse 17. They're traveling along, debating, arguing. They're, they're getting depressed And Jesus says, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another? And they stood still looking sad. They're sad because the pieces don't fit together. What was the problem? Well, look at verses 18 through 24. 18 through 24. Let's read that. One of them, well, let's pick it up, verse 16 or 17. And he said to them, what are the words? that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking, and they stood still looking sad. And one of them, Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And then he gives them this big picture. Now notice, the pieces didn't fit. Uh, This was a great prophet, and yet he's not receiving honor. The, the very rulers of the Jews have dishonored him and turned him over to be crucified. The process wasn't right. I thought he was going to bring in the kingdom. Instead, he got crucified. The promise wasn't fulfilled. We haven't seen his body. So what if the angel said he's risen? So what if the tomb is empty? The process isn't going the way it's supposed to. It isn't being fulfilled exactly. We haven't seen him. And bottom line, verse 24, the person has not been seen. There's been no appearance of the risen Christ, just an empty tomb. I have a quote there in your notes. I think this is how these two disciples felt. Needing someone is like needing a parachute. If he or she isn't there the first time you need them, chances are you won't be needing them again. Okay? All right? If you need a parachute and it's not there, you're in trouble. Okay? The idea is this. We needed him. We needed him. We needed him to rise, to rule, to reign, to make things right. And he hasn't shown up. He's let us down. You see, the cardinal sin for a melancholy person is someone being disloyal, someone messing up the perfect plan, someone losing the missing piece of the puzzle. You see, there's some of you that can put a puzzle together, and if you get down to the end and the piece is missing, it doesn't bother you in the bit. Hey, I know what it looks like. Look at the box top, you know. Others of you would what? Yeah, you freak out. You freak out. We, we went to a, a bed and breakfast one time and put a puzzle together, and it was a big, hairy, hard one. And we took a couple of days. We put it together. And, man, there was like a piece missing. And drove me nuts. And then when we got home, it was like in my luggage. Somehow the missing piece was like in my luggage. Uh, which then I promptly shipped back to them so no one else could be frustrated in the future. And uh, so that's the way these guys are. They were, they were, they were frustrated. So what are they going to do about it? Number three, the third, uh, the third characteristic, they were passionately debating about how to make it fit together. 
You see, you had the big picture. They had some missing pieces, but they were still going to try to figure out how to make it fit together. Just like we did at the at the house. We looked at other puzzle boxes. It has to be here somewhere. It's got to be here. Where are these pieces? Well, let's look at what these guys do. They analyze it. They analyze it. Number, the first thing you notice, the two disciples were discussing the facts. They were discussing it. They had the facts down. If As you look through this story, they are walking and they are talking a mile a minute. Okay, And they're discussing the facts. And they knew the facts. They knew that Jesus was a prophet. And yet, what he predicted hasn't come to fruition. It's the third day. Why hasn't it been fulfilled? They knew Jesus was crucified. Yet they had the fact of the empty tomb staring them in the face. They knew that Jesus promised, or at least they hoped, he would be Messiah. And they had the angelic claim that he had risen. They knew that Jesus had risen, but they hadn't seen him bodily. You see, all the facts were there. They think the puzzle pieces are missing. In reality, they had all the facts. The problem was they didn't have faith in those facts. Are you with me? You see, the pieces of the puzzle... The facts of the resurrection can either be cause for doubt or for faith. From man's perspective, these resurrection facts are cause for doubt. Hey, I got to see it to believe it. But from God's perspective, these facts were a reason for faith. Do you see the reality? They had sufficient reason to believe. And yet they lacked that faith. You see, the fact from man's view are barriers to faith. The facts from God's view should be stepping stones to faith in Jesus. The two disciples were not only discussing, they were debating how the facts fit together. They were debating this. And that's the word used in verse 15. In verse 15, it says, they were talking, that's discussing, and Discussing, but that word for discussing would be better translated. They were debating. They were. They, it was a passionate debate. And then number three, the two disciples were disagreeing over how the facts fit apart from faith. So they were discussing the facts. They were debating how they fit together, and they were disagreeing over how to fit them together due to having a lack of faith. That's the idea here. Because in verse 17, it says, "What are the, Jesus says to him, what are these words you are exchanging? And it, that is a word for a, a, an argument. They were arguing. Now, why is that? Because here's why. They were looking at all these things from man's perspective and human reasoning. And who were they talking to? Who were they talking to? Who? Well, I mean, before Jesus came. They were talking to each other. It was horizontal and it was human. They were reasoning. Let's, let, let's think this through. We're going to figure this out. We know the big picture. There's some missing pieces. But by golly, we're going to make it fit together. 
And this idea of discussing among themselves, when you study the Gospels, whenever the disciples got together and discussed things apart from Jesus, it never went well. It never went well. You see, the reality is this. They lacked faith. Christianity is a reasonable faith, but it's not faith in reason. It's faith in a revelation, and it's reasonable to put your faith in that revelation. And that's why God did not allow them to know who Jesus was. One of the weirdest things in these stories is, why don't they immediately know who Jesus is? And the reason is because they lack faith. And Jesus, God rather, prevents them from seeing Jesus for who He really is to take them through this process to come to an end of themselves and put faith in what God has already promised. Are you with me? So, just like Mary, these two need a close encounter of the real kind. And it's going to be a convicting one. So let's look at that. Number two, these confused followers have a convicting encounter and they are, the two are asked reasonable questions for a revealing purpose. Mary was asked obvious questions for a obvious purpose, okay? Or for a purpose. These guys are asked reasonable questions for a revealing purpose and Jesus takes the initiative. This is beautiful. Jesus takes the initiative to meet them where they are. They're headed in the wrong direction. Where should they be? They should be with the other disciples staying in Jerusalem. They're headed in the wrong direction. And isn't it beautiful? They're headed in the wrong direction, reasoning with their own human wisdom, and Jesus still meets them where they are. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And He'll meet you where you are. In fact, He's already working in your life to... He's present in your life, working in the midst of your brokenness, but you've got to have faith to see Him. That's the issue. So let's look at the traveling stranger asked two very reasonable question, questions. The first question the traveling stranger asked is, why are you so sad? Why are you upset? We see this in verses 17 and 18. What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. Why did Christ appear as a traveling stranger? Because that's what they were. They were traveling. And so he meets them where they were. What kind of conversation is this? I think it's amazing that he asks these very rational, very melancholy personalities, why are you so sad? Favorite question of melancholies is the question of why? That's what he's asking. He's like, why? He's drawing it out of them. And they give them this ironic answer. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said, Are you the only one that is clueless and unaware of what is going on? You see, this is going to be very convicting. It's going to be very ironic once they figure out who they were talking to. So he asked them why they are upset. They are shocked that their companion could have just left Jerusalem and yet be so ignorant of what has taken place. And so the traveling stranger... Very Jesus condescends to their foolishness. The traveling stranger asks them to explain. 
explain. That's the second question. What things? What things? Now, that's a melancholy's dream come true. You've asked them why, and now you've asked them to explain in detail what the problem is. And boy, let me tell you, they give him the answer, don't they? That's the longest part of this discussion up to this time, is them explaining in in detail. Why did Jesus do that? Did Jesus not know what was going on? Why did he ask that? He asked it because he wanted them to come to the end of their own reasoning. He wanted them to realize, no matter how long you debate this, no matter how long you discuss it, no matter how hard you try to fit this together, until you come to the the end of your own reasoning and place faith in the Bible and what I have promised, you won't figure this out. And so Cleopas rehearses the facts that don't fit. And that the biggest piece of the puzzle is no one has seen the risen Lord. And then Jesus rebukes him. Doesn't reveal himself. He just rebukes him. Number three, why don't you understand and believe? Nothing could be more convicting to a melancholy than being told you don't understand. You don't understand. Look, you've got this big picture. You know the facts. You're walking through this. You've heard the women. You've heard the angels' announcement. You know the the tomb is empty. Why don't you understand and believe? Look at verse 25. And it is, listen, this isn't Jesus meek and mild. These are strong words. These are, these are, not, these are strong words. Listen, verse 25. And he said to them, Oh, foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets prophets have spoken. Now, he's not saying, you dummies. He's saying, you morally foolish, unbelieving people who are thinking and acting like God doesn't exist. That's what he's saying to them. Wow. I thought Jesus would be nicer than that. This little exclamation of, oh... Uh, that is literally there. He, he, he's basically saying, Oh, you fools, how slow your hearts to, are to believe. You foolish believe, people, you should be believing. The Bible says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Listen, when we try to, let me say it this way, when we try to put the pieces of our broken lives together apart from God, we're being fools. Are you with me? When we try to put together the broken pieces of our broken lives and our broken hearts and we cry out to God, why aren't you fixing this? Where are you? I thought you promised. I thought, I thought, I thought we are being foolish. Because God is present. Jesus is present. Jesus is putting the pieces together. And granted, some of those pieces won't be put together until the kingdom comes. And His will is done on earth as it is in heaven. But it will be done. And those with faith can live with broken pieces and missing puzzle pieces because they know one day those pieces are going to be found and put in place when the kingdom comes. Is that good stuff? 
And so let's break this down. They were, first of all, slow of heart. You see, they were rationalizing this. They were using their heads and not also their hearts. It's not head versus heart. The point was they were trying to reason apart from revelation. They were slow of heart. They had hard hearts that needed to be softened and opened up by Jesus. Secondly, they were slow of heart to believe. They were slow of heart to believe. They were doubting instead of believing. They were depending on seeing rather than Scripture. They wanted to see Him. Guess what? How many of you are believers in Jesus? How many of you have seen Jesus physically? You don't have to see to believe. You place your faith in the revelation and the promises. And you know the eyewitnesses. You place it in Scripture. And yet sometimes we're like that. It's like the old saying, believe in miracles, but trust in Jesus. You don't have to have miracles to trust in Jesus. The miracles were already performed. Second of all, slow of heart, slow of heart to believe. Third, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had taught. All, slow of heart to believe all. What part of the prophets' promises, what parts of Jesus' promises were they focused on? They were focused on the kingdom coming, the crown but what comes before the crown is the, the cross. So it blew them away when He was crucified. Now that He's risen, they think the kingdom ought to come. But guess what? We have to bear our cross before the kingdom comes. That's why there are miscarriages in the lives of Christians. That's why children do die young even in the lives of Christians. That's why marriages can fall apart. That's why there is a lot of brokenness in the lives of Christians because the kingdom hasn't yet come and we have to bear our cross through the suffering that God has for us just like Jesus bore His suffering to the cross. But what was the good news? Three days He rose. And what's the good news for you and I? Paul told the disciples... Through many tribulations, you must come to the kingdom. So, if you're broken today, join the club. We're all broken. But we have a Savior who was broken for us, amen? And He is risen, and He is reigning, and He is returning. And so, we can persevere through our brokenness. We have to believe that there is a cross that comes before the crown, but there is a crown that is coming. The kingdom is coming. And so broken promises sometimes lead to broken hearts. Dreams of marriage leads sometimes to loneliness and singleness and never getting married. The promise of marriage sometimes leads to the pain of divorce. An awesome date becomes a lousy spouse. A beloved child becomes a prodigal. The hope of children leads to a barren womb that feels like an empty tomb. These are the realities. But when you are depressed, do you choose to sit in an empty tomb or walk with the living Lord? When you don't understand why, do you get stuck somewhere between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday? See, these guys were, it was Resurrection Sunday, but they were still living like it was Saturday. They were stuck between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. And when life doesn't turn out the way it want, you, you want it to, are you more comfortable mourning the death of your dream 
than following the living Lord. Some of you just need to let let go of those dreams that have died. Release them and follow the living Lord. He's walking right with you. Isn't that good? Man, that's good. Chris, you're doing good. Listen, in the midst of your brokenness, stop and reflect on what Christ suffered on the cross. Think about how He rose from the dead so that He could meet you in your brokenness. He meets these guys in their brokenness. And He walks with them just like He'll walk with you. And He will reveal Himself to you as you walk with Him and as you talk with Him in order to radically change the direction of your life, even in the midst of your brokenness. Isn't that beautiful? (sighs) Jesus doesn't just walk with them and rebuke them. He walks with them to reveal himself to them. And so number three, here it is, a close encounter of the understanding kind, the living Lord with the living truth. With Mary, it was about hope. With these two, it's about truth. It's about truth, living truth. And here's the big idea. A close encounter with living truth will transform broken hearts into burning hearts. Broken hearts become burning hearts. Let's pick it up in verse 27. Here's what the stranger, he's still a stranger, they don't know him. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, that is Emmaus, and he acted as if he was going further. But they urged him saying, no, stay with us for it's getting towards evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while we were while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them. And those eleven who were with them were now saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. That is Simon Peter. And then the two disciples, verse 35, began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. These broken hearts have been transformed into burning hearts of disciples on fire. So let's look at the fuel. What is the fuel God uses to set hearts on fire? There's at least four things you see in this passage. And they're basic, so I'm not going to go into detail with them. And because I've I've taught through this before, I just had a lot of time to meditate on this passage. And I looked at all of Luke 24, and I saw on each of these things, the fuel that God uses to ignite our hearts and set them on fire. There's, There's dozens of principles. So I have the principles there for you. You can read through them. They're, they're awesome because they're right from Scripture. These are the things that God wants us to learn, and obviously we can't learn them all today. But at least I gave them to you because that makes the pieces all fit together. Number one, study the Bible. Study the Bible for the purpose of knowing and growing your relationship with the Lord. Listen, 
There's a famous pastor, Andy Stanley, son of Charles Stanley, who is now teaching all around the world that you don't need the Scriptures to come to faith in Christ. Well, Jesus begs to differ because He takes them from Genesis all the way up into the Gospels themselves. If the living Word uses the written Word to reveal Himself to people, then I think we should too. Right? Listen, if you have a small view of God, if you're, if, if you're wondering where Jesus is in your life, you're never going to figure it out. You're never going to put the pieces together until you get in this book. You've got to be in this book on a daily basis. You've got to study the Bible to grow your relationship. And you just don't study the Bible as an end in itself. You've got to let Jesus talk to you through the Scriptures. He's walking with them, talking. And guess what? You need to talk to Him in prayer. He's talking, they're talking. This is a picture of the Christian life. Is your daily life one where as you walk through life, Jesus is talking to you through the Scriptures and you're talking to Him in prayer? That's, there it is. There it is. You say, man, I wish I, you know, I, I, believe me, I wish. Wouldn't you like Jesus to just teach you the whole Bible? Uh, duh, He can do that. He can do that. But you've got to be in this book on a daily basis. So that's number one, two, study. Number two, spend time enjoying the fellowship of brokenness and forgiveness with other believers. You can't just study the Bible in isolation. You've got to have fellowship. Notice, Jesus didn't reveal himself ultimately just through the study of the scriptures. When did they recognize him? When did they recognize him? When? When they were eating together and he broke the bread and he's saying, let's have fellowship. And they were having fellowship with other believers. And guess what? The second they recognize Jesus, where do these guys run to? They run to have fellowship with other believers. So if you're really studying the scriptures, then you're going to want to spend time in fellowship with other believers. You realize the whole direction of their life change? They were headed to Emmaus. They repent and have faith, and they are running to Jerusalem. They're leaving depressed, and they're running with joy back to have fellowship with other believers. So spend time enjoying fellowship. Number three... Seek to make worship with the membership of this local church your priority on the Lord's Day. Seek to make worship with the membership of this local church your priority on the Lord's Day. I got ahead of myself. You see, the entire direction of their life changed. What became important wasn't what was at Emmaus. What became important was being with the gathered assembly of God's people on the Lord's Day. Their direction changed and their priorities were changed. Do you think things, ladies, do you think things needed to be done in Emmaus? In the house? Ladies, do you think things need to be done? Yeah. Ladies, do you think, or men, do you think the guys had work to do in Emmaus? Yeah, they did. But that wasn't the priority anymore. The priority was to be with God's gathered people exalting the risen Lord. And so that's where they want to be. They go back to Jerusalem and they were drawn into the worship and the membership of that local assembly. Not yet a church, but nonetheless, they are identifying and gathering with God's people. Number four, share with others your spiritual journey 
and the good news of the risen Lord. Notice I've got eight. You, you can't keep quiet if you know Jesus. So here's what I want to ask you. If you and I have gone weeks and months without sharing Jesus, there's something wrong. And I believe me, I've gone, we, even at pastor, I've gone weeks and months. I, I get it. So this, this is us talking to one another. But if we're going weeks and months without talking about our risen Lord, I would venture to say we're not studying scriptures, we're not enjoying the fellowship, we're not in the membership like we ought to, and most of all, we've lost the joy of knowing the risen Lord. These guys just couldn't keep it quiet. We's risen. And they're like, no, we want to tell you he's risen. No, I want to tell you he's risen. And then you know how this passage ends? It ends in Luke 24 with Jesus revealing himself to all the disciples. And in revealing himself, what does he do? He says, look, go, stay here in Jerusalem. I'm going to ascend, the Spirit's going to come down, and then I want you to preach this good news, proclaim this good news to all peoples. Wow. I love this chapter. It's a great chapter. You see, a close encounter with the living Lord transforms broken hearts into burning hearts. So let me ask you, is your relationship with the living Lord growing? Is your fellowship real? Is your membership outstanding? And is your partnership in getting the gospel to all peoples, are you involved in sharing your testimony and the good news that Jesus is alive? Isn't this good? Man, we all got some growing to do today, don't we? But if you got a broken heart, it can still be a burning heart. It can be a burning heart. Let's pray. Father, we come. And we are so glad that you are walking in our midst. You're present. You appeared to those disciples as they were gathered on the Lord's Day. You're in our midst right now. And you walk with us just like you walked with those two disciples. And you'll meet us right where we are. And Lord, we're thankful you don't leave us where you find us. And so, Father, let us be a part of the fellowship of the forgiven. Let us share the relationship of a burning heart. And Lord, let us rejoice that we can have close encounters with living truth because you're our living Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.